Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 24 of Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. I am your host and hard-hitting journalist, Jeremy Vilmer, and now the star of our show, Bobby Blaze. Hey, Jeremy, thank you. And to all you great fans out there, thank you for bearing with us in the last couple of days for the delay, but it was uh, unavoidable, and we appreciate you hanging there with us, and it sure is good, good, good to be back on here with my friend Jeremy, and also letting all you friends uh, bringing you to the Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze podcast, man. I'm going to tell you, I jones. I missed it, man. I missed recording. I missed talking, and I missed hearing it played back. So I'm glad to be back, Jeremy. Thank you. So am I. Yeah. So, you know, thank you, everybody, for tuning back in. I know there's been a couple-day gap in between episodes here longer than usual. We, we are experimenting with new release days and that sort of thing, being as how we have to record on a different day than we had gotten used to. But we'll get those smoothed out, and we'll get all that figured out. But yeah, Bobby, we were gone just long enough that I had to actually stare at my mic setup and go, how does this shit go together again? <laughs> yeah, well, it is good to be back, man. This is episode 24. Do you want to set it up or do you want me to? Well, why don't you go ahead and set it up? We're going to call this Bobby Blaze's Top 10 Favorite Matches. And these are matches. When I first, when you sent me the idea, and I, and I do appreciate everything you do, just so you know that. You produce, you you edit, you direct, and you, you give me uh, ideas. I thought, now, is he talking about matches I've been in, or is he talking about matches I've seen? So I sent a little notice, and I realized I was already into matches I've already seen, so I really didn't give you a chance to get back to say, no, I meant the matches you, you was in. <laughs> so 10 of the top favorite matches I've seen. And that's going to be what this episode's about. And I think it's going to be a very, very enjoyable episode. Before we get into it, do you have any shout-outs or anything you want to uh, put out there for the people real quick? I, ha- I know I have one I want to mention. You know what? Not in particular. I just want to thank everybody for tuning back in. Bobby, I'm, I'm a little hectic right now. We have a grandson living with us full time. I got to figure out how to get back down to LA and trash a car. Just started a new job that I really don't know what I'm doing at yet. So I'm a little I'm a little out of sorts, and everybody's been sick in my house for a week. So I, you know what? Let's just have you do your shoutouts. Okay, that sounds great, man. I mean, I, I, stressful as fuck, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I'll go ahead and do my part. That's uh, no, I understand. I didn't know if you want to bring up some of that on the air or not, but I knew you was going through some things, and that's completely understandable, man. So thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to record this. That makes me respect and appreciate you even more. Well, as, as I mentioned on the uh, Twitter, and you can follow Jeremy on Twitter at the Geekish Cast. You can follow me on Twitter at BobbyBlaze744, or you can follow our joint account at bell to bell Blaze. That said, my shout-out is going to lead into where we're broadcasting from this week, and that is uh, my shout-out is going to go to Tex, because Tex, uh, you know, he does our graphics. We appreciate you, Tex. Uh, Adam, you had the week off. You had to do any damn traveling this week. But Tex sent me an article, and I'd only read this article once, and it actually came out uh, March the 2nd of 2014, and I apparently lost the link. But it's from David Wolford at davidwolford.com. And he had written a really nice review about Pin Me, Pay Me. The title of his article for this uh, magazine, it was called Bobby, We Hardly Knew You. 
David had been a former student of mine uh, back in the day. He was a high school wrestler, and now he teaches um, at a high school, and he also does some college courses, and he's actually written a couple of, or participated in writing a couple of uh, college textbooks. So he's a very, very smart man. And one of the things I liked about it, which is going to lead into where we're podcasting from, is in his article he called the Ashton, Kentucky National Guard Armory this town's version of the Omni. And I thought that was pretty cool. So we're coming to you from the Ashland, Kentucky National Guard Armory. And that's, of course, in my hometown. And I've wrestled there many, many times. But before I wrestled there, I got to go to some matches there. And probably about 1970 or 71 might have been the first time I went to some matches at the National Guard Armory. But by 1976, there was a little local cable company and a public access kind of deal, and they used to run shows there. And I only lived a few blocks from the armory, and my brother and I, we used to go over, and by that time, we, we, we played sports. They had really, the armory had these really nice basketball indoor courts. Seemed like every kid in town, there was about three gyms everyone knew how to sneak into and, and play basketball or or sneak into the wrestling show at the armory when they came. And by the time I was 15, I was, my brother and I was running over, setting up the ring because for three years from 12 to 15, we were running, we lived beside McDonald's and we got to go get the guys hamburgers and coffees and sodas and, and what have you. That place was always special to me. And I, I finally got to wrestle there, you know, as an adult, uh, you know, several years later. And the way it's set up, it's big old horseshoe out front as, as you come in a driveway and, People would drive up through there and, you know, get out. And the ring truck would drive there and, and, and load up. And, you know, in the basement, they had tanks and stuff. And they had these, uh, just this really unique, like, locker room. And it had a really good, from the time I was a kid, um, and they just recently redone it just a few years ago. They haven't had any shows there for probably four or five years now. But uh, prior to redoing it, it just had this... Um, ominous feeling really it was just uh the they had the center lights you know all the other lights went off uh whether you went to golden gloves boxing there or um if you went to they used to have uh the kentucky national guard sponsored a, a high school um volleyball team that was outstanding ranked nationally back in the late 70s early 80s you'd go to some of those tournaments there it just had this really really good atmosphere and this good feeling you know obviously i've done several matches there and some of them i've done for smoky mountain some i promoted on my own and one of the times if not all the as be as redundant i as i am at times i always let the people there know that uh i really of all the places in the world i wrestled i always that the Ashland National Guard Armory had a special place in my heart to uh, to come and wrestle at, and um, and that that still holds true today. I really just had some real fond memories of wrestling there uh, through the years uh, of guys I've seen come through there. I mean, we've had we had uh, Cactus Jack and uh, Chris Candido there. We've had the Rock and Roll Express there. Myself and the Rock and Roll Express re- wrestled the gangsters there. The gangsters, if you will, uh, me and the Heavenly Bodies wrestled there. Uh, that's just some of the Smoky Mountain days. I wrestled my late good friend J.T. Light. He used to bring a crew of guys down. Cleveland All Pro would come down and wrestle. We exchanged talents. Les Thatcher used to send me guys down from Cincinnati. It was just, it was just a really good place. And uh, well, none you know of what? my top ten matches. Hold on, hold on. There, let me yeah, let me ahead. let me stop you real quick because yeah. um, you know on my other show, Geekish Cast, I interview a lot of uh, indie creators and that sort of thing. 
and a question I often ask to people who've made their first movie or their first comic book is, and I'm going to adjust this to you with being a wrestler. So you grew up watching matches there. So what was it like when you wrestled there for the first time? Awesome. Okay. It was awesome. It was a Sunday afternoon. I remember it like it was yesterday, even though it was many, many years ago. We had done a town the night before, about 45 minutes away, and we had this show set up for an afternoon on a Sunday, and my brother and I were in a tag match against two masked wrestlers. It was just a small show, probably drew between 75 and 100 people. We were beside ourselves. We were popping, you know. We mm-hmm. we was the main event. We didn't use any, no one, there was no big stars on the show, nothing like that. It was just a little local show. We went out and hustled it up and got some free radio ads and all that. But it was the, the funniest thing about it. I still see this guy to this day sometimes, uh, every once in a while. But one of the things that stands out, my brother and I was in a tag match, and uh, again, against these two masked wrestlers. While we were in the ring, this guy stands up that had graduated from my brother, and he had this very distinctive body and this very distinctive talk. Let's just say he might have ridden the, the smaller bus to school, if you will. Yeah, I got you. But he, but he had a mask on. <laughs> but you still knew who it was. And he stands up and starts harassing my brother and I before the match started. And we was trying not to crack up because we, you know, obviously we was, we had been trained, we'd been wrestling, we, we, we knew the guys we was working with, but we was trying not to laugh or break character with this one guy. Like I said, it's probably 75 to 100 people, and pretty much all of them were at ringside. And so we start the match, and I don't know, we're two to three, five minutes into it at the most, and a guy stands back up. But this time he removes the mask. Of course, we had known who it was. But man, he goes, and you guys didn't even know it was me. You didn't even know it was me. Well, by that time, my brother and I, we just start cracking up. You know, we're still trying to, you know, shine as baby faces, but we're the ring just cracking up at this guy out there that we knew who it was even with the mask on. You know, it's just one of those, one of those crazy wrestling fans. And, um, uh, I've seen him here in the last, I'll say in the last year, and he'll say, do you remember that time? And I'll say, yeah, I won't say his name. i say, yeah, I remember it. He goes, you didn't know it was me. And I go, I know, I know. You know, I just play along with it because, you know, that, that's just what you go. But to answer your question, it's just one of those things. It's that childhood dream that comes true, man, because I had played ball, uh, basketball there. I would played volleyball there, but I never got to wrestle there until then. Like I said, it was a Sunday afternoon show. Uh, it had windows, uh, big glass windows, and that place would get hot as can be in the summer. But that show there was actually in the winter, and of course it was just in an armory gym, so it, it, it was pretty damn cold. But the, the fact is, all the light come in because it was an afternoon show. That's the other thing I remember about it. But so it wasn't until several years later uh, when I came back, probably in '94, the first time we ran a Smoky Mountain show there when it was nighttime and our lights were off with the center of the ring. And that was even a better feeling, you know, because that was the, that was when you felt like, I felt like, oh man, I've made it. You know, I'm in my hometown now, I've made it because there were stars on the show. 
you know, and I, I was just someone on the show to me because we, we had the crew of Smoky Mountain come through there, you know. So, uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling in 1980-81 sold it out. They had never been here before. They had been to Columbus, Ohio, Cincinnati, Huntington, West Virginia, Charleston. They actually came to the armory here. They sold it out. It was packed. They was turning people away. Memphis came once when I was about in the seventh or eighth grade, but the old ICW used to come every month, man. And that was some great, you know, they had the Macho Man, they had Hustler, Rip Rogers, Lanny, the Miser, they had the whole crew, you know, and that was, some, you know, just some really good wrestling, too. Yeah, the National Guard Armory, you know, is just really special to me, and I'm glad I got to wrestle there, and that saved us some travel this week, and I hope you enjoyed the stories. Oh, it sounds like a lot of fun. It, you know, it's always kind of funny to me or interesting to me that guys who go on to become pro wrestlers, they always have stories about you know, helping set up the ring or like you, you know, running and grabbing burgers and stuff or just hanging out at the at the place where the, the shows are held. <clears throat> and I remember there was a point where my son Micah was fa- following uh, APW shows around and helping setting up the rings and running the arcades with some of the wrestlers who were working the shows. And, you know, he comes home one time and he's telling me a story about a guy he met, uh, Jody Christofferson. I'm like, was he a real Christofferson? Like, a real, real Christofferson? Oh, I don't know. And I went and looked him up, and yeah, it was Chris Christofferson's kid. Oh, man. <laughs> I was oh. like, you you didn't think to put that together while you were talking to him? <laughs> yeah, that's funny, man. That's funny. Yeah, yeah the, we just, um, when I told uh, Cornette, you know, he called... Well, once we was doing the background on some things and he was going to do a promo for me and this and that, he said, man, your story. And I, I took it as a great compliment. Uh, but he said, man, your story sounds a lot like Bobby Eaton's man. He, he's always over setting up the ring and, you know, hanging out and doing all that. But there's so many guys I've met through the years that's done that. Like you said, you know, and we lived uh, on 27th and the army was on 25th, but there's about a three block gap uh, on side streets, even though that's a two block you know, distance, you're only, it was only like a five minute, a five minute light trot, honestly, to McDonald's, which was where we lived directly beside McDonald's. And so that, you know, after a couple of years of that, those were the guys when they got to town, they said, oh, that's them two boys that, you know, <laughs> they live by McDonald's here, go get us burgers or coffee or whatever. It's just become a habit, you know, because yeah. we come over there hanging out, man. And we even, I remember one time someone, I don't even know what show it was, someone actually left the concession stand uh, stuff set up on a, like after a Saturday night show. So we got over there on Sunday, we went over to play basketball and someone had forgot to turn the uh, Coke fountains off. Anyway, with that said, that kind of, you know, kind of covers my shout out uh, to uh, David Wolford. It kind of covers the, uh, the Kentucky National Guard Armory here in Ashland, Kentucky. Hopefully that'll just take us to, uh, to, to me to give you a rundown of how I came to the conclusion of my top 10 all-time favorite professional wrestling matches that I've watched. And we can start that unless you have any other questions. Well, no, my questions are done. I just do want to say this show is sponsored by Bobby's Books, which are available on Amazon. You can get to Pin Me, Pay Me by going to tinyurl.com slash blazebook1. Or you can get to I Kicked Out on Two, The Education of a Wrestler by going to tinyurl.com slash blazebook2. And with that being said, Bobby, let's tell everybody a little bit real quick about how what kind of rules were set for this week's top ten because we always have caveats when we do a top ten list. 
Well, I had a couple of simple rules to myself. One, I already knew about probably my top five matches right off the top of my head. Bada bing, boom, boom. And with that said, a couple of things I did immediately also, I took off, and I hope you people understand why, especially our fans, and I think they will. I immediately, the first match I deleted out of my top ten was the uh, Randy Savage-Ricky Steamboat match from WrestleMania three because I figured everyone has already seen that match. They know how good it was, they know how great it was. I tried to go with stuff that was different that I thought the fans would be interested in also because these are my personal favorites. The other one I took off, you could count one or three ways, and you probably see where I'm going with that is, and that's the uh, Flair Steamboat series, I think, from, what, 89. I took those off because everyone, again... Everyone has a favorite, whether it was Nashville or uh, uh, Chicago or whichever. You know, there's. I, I just uh, I figured everyone seen ha, has seen those matches, and that's probably in everyone else's you know top ten uh, matches or, or greatest matches of all times. And if you're a student of the game or you love professional wrestling, you have to go back and watch those matches. I also tried to go with a. It ended up being a split. I was trying to go with as many matches that I had seen live and in person versus, you know, what I may have seen on TV or video cassette or, or DVD or, or YouTube or what have you. Most of these, um, so I ended up being five and five, what I was getting at is I did not watch any of these on YouTube until here recently. I went back because I saw them, uh, some of them originally on uh, the old VHS tapes back in the day if I didn't. There's only one and I'm going to start it off with number 10 that I didn't see um, on YouTube, a DVD, or on, um, I, I actually saw it on TV when it took place. So um, with that said, I'll start my top 10 if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Oh, one more thing. Yes. I did, I could have taken any number of Rock and Roll Express versus Midnight Express matches. I could have also, and I'm going to mention them here in a little bit later on, the Fantastics. I could have played several Fantastics and Midnight Express matches, too. I mean, it's one of those things, just like last week we done our movie list, and we always have our, you know, rules. There's so many I could have put on here but didn't, just so I can kind of get a broader spectrum of my favorite matches of all time. Number 10, I'll make it really, really brief. I've mentioned it before. It was probably 1969. Uh, it was in Baltimore, Maryland. It was the old WWWF. It was on TV, and it was the Sheik versus Bobo Bazil. I've mentioned before I watched it with my aunt. That was real special to me. It's no longer with us. And that's probably the first time I actually saw professional wrestling. You know, we used, she used to let me watch Colts games, Orioles games, whatever. She just loves sports. Uh, she even liked, uh, damn, this, uh, they had a, 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 the Skipjacks, I think, was the name of a hockey team they had there. The Baltimore Bullets and stuff back in the day. You know, I was just a young kid. But um, we watched wrestling. And that, uh, just the name association of the Sheik versus Bobo, those two names that is caught on too early. So, you know, you can go back. I'm sure you can find any number of their matches on YouTube now. But I, that's probably the first televised match I watched uh, prior to moving to Ashton, Kentucky, uh, you know, within a couple years of that time frame. That's why I say it's probably around 69 because I think we came here like 69. So I'm giving my way of my age here a little bit. But that's my number 10, and that's the Sheik versus Bobo Brazil uh, back in the day on an actual, you know, big floor model television Okay, number nine, Memphis, and that's the good stuff, because once I came here, that's what we started picking up was the Memphis stuff. There's probably any number of matches I could have picked, and I, I took off two of them, 
and you'll know where I'm going with this because I'm a Terry Funk fan. So I could have put in a concession stand fight from uh, Tubelo, Mississippi. That We've talked about that one before. I know Cornette. I know us on uh, speaks about it. I know a lot of people do. They speak about us on YouTube. The first five-star to five-star rating of Terry Funk versus Jerry Lawler, I think that was around 81-ish maybe. But my favorite was Terry Funk versus Jerry the King Lawler in the empty arena match. My eye, my eye, God damn it, Lance, get a doctor out here. My, I just love that. The promo Terry's cutting before it starts in the empty arena, and they go through the chairs, and it's Jerry Lawler, and Lance Russell's the only one there, and I think Lance even, he's smoking a cigarette, puts it out, and says, well, I guess it's going to start, you know. And they just go at each other, and it's not this the greatest technical match, because that's not what you're expecting. Uh, but it's just Terry Funk being Terry fucking wild man to, you know, <laughs> Texas Bronco or whatever against Jerry the King Lawler in Memphis, Tennessee in the, in the empty arena match. And I just I just love that. So I picked that as my Memphis reference. And obviously that's one I saw on TV and, and I've went back and since watched it on YouTube as well. So so shoot away if you have a question. Oh, on I, that one. I absolutely do. Now, you have to understand I'm not insulting this match. I'm not doing anything like that. But what I have often found is that when you have a wrestling match in a quiet arena where there's no fan noise, it kind of takes the air out of it. Is that a problem with this match, or are you just so into it that the lack of ambient sound doesn't affect it? At the time, it didn't affect it for me one bit, okay? And then I watched it, oh, man, within the last year or so. And um, once again, to me... I got so in tuned with Funk's interview and Lawler talking and coming out there and just, just the anticipation. Obviously, we talked about memory before. It's not the same. But you know what? For, for me, that match, the sound, it didn't, it didn't matter to me. I, I just got into it. Uh, so, you know, I, I just kind of fended that away that I was just such into it as a fan. It's like the, uh, the concession stand mask, like I mentioned, it's one of those things like, you know what, you, it may not be exactly the way you remember it, but, but there was something about it. So, yeah, you could hear the ring, you could hear the microphone, you could hear Lance, you could hear them two grunting and yelling and cussing. But without the fan interaction and stuff, for me, uh, I guess I'm just such a fucking mark for Terry Funk. <laughs> and and I, growing up watching Jerry Lawler, I mean, uh, I, I just didn't bother me. It might someone else, but it didn't me. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I remember oh some series of five-man tag matches or something the AWA did at the very end, and they couldn't sell any tickets the last one, so they did it in an empty arena to prevent outside interference. Mm. And it was just, it was like watching, it was like watching one person play uh, Rock'em Sock'em Robots. You know, you're just uh, like, uh, yeah. yeah, there was no sound, no crowd, and, you're just, and sometimes the crowd energy is what gets you into the match, you know? Yeah. Like, when you're watching ECW, you know, first you're watching thinking, oh, my God, this is garbage. And then a move hits, and the crowd starts chanting, holy shit. And you're like, that was pretty fucking amazing, <laughs> you know? And I see your point. And I'm a, I'm a big sound guy. I mean, I liked that. I hated when, when uh, eventually, I guess, I don't know if WWF, I'm sure, has done it. And I know back in the day, WCW, they pop in that sound, and everyone's, like, sitting on their fucking hands, and yeah. people clapping and stuff. I, 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 that takes away from it for me. So, you know, I kind of, you know, kind of being um, uh, contradicting myself there. But for that particular match, 
it, it didn't it didn't bother me one bit. Um, you know, I just oh, no, it's, it's I a, was into it. You yeah, know, it's a all. it's a legendary match and. And like you're saying, you know, is is uh, Terry Funk's getting beat up? You know, oh, have some humanity. <laughs> you know, yeah. they they played they played for an empty room. It's just you know, sometimes I wonder about that, and just if if anybody else does, because I also get lost in weird tangents sometimes. But yeah, that was my question on the empty arena brawl between Terry Funk and Jerry Lawler. Well, let's move on to number eight, and I saw this one live, and it took place in Japan. It was on a Sunday afternoon. It was the last day of the tour I was on. It was the second time I was there, so this is around 97. And it was a six-man tag match. Terry Boy, Dick Toga, and Taka Michinoku was versing the great Sasuke, Grand Hamada, and uh, Jensei. And I had worked, man, I don't even know if it's first, second, or third match. I worked early on the card. I knew it was my last day of the tour. I knew it was payday. Uh, I remember going in and taking a shower real quick and coming back out, and I, maybe I was first or second. I really don't even remember that, to be honest with you. But I remember just setting up in the arena, and it was a, one of the bigger places we were at, and I just sat there, and these six guys went out there and just fucking completely tore it down. And the kind of match they had, I'd been, like I said, it's my second tour there. I'd been there maybe four weeks. It was unlike a lot of the six-man tag matches. They do a lot similar to uh, the, the tag matches if you follow the Luchadors mm-hmm. or Lucha Libre, uh, Lucha Libre, where they you know tag in, tag out without the you know when your when your partner's out one slides in kind of thing. This match here, even though I had been seeing some of that, they kind of kept. This was more like a westernized day, uh, you know, like something we would be used to as a tag match, tagging in and out, and it was it was a. Heels and baby faces. It was uh, legitimately people that hated the heels and loved the faces. And then there's a few people, you know, probably like you and myself, that you know wanted to see the heels get over. But but they were so into to the match that I think by the end of it, they were glad that the baby faces won and that the heels lost. You know the way it went. It was just the really timing, the the execution of all the moves. Uh, Terry Boy, uh, Terry Terry Tejo, uh, can't say that I can't remember exactly. Anyway, he was a <laughs> he was a Terry Funk wannabe, and he had a strange look to him. Good build. He was built a lot like uh, uh, Taka Michinoku, but he had a uh, long bleached blonde hair, and that was the only thing. Other than that, he wanted to be Terry Funk, and um, he had these boots like Funk had. And then Dick Toga, people probably remember him from uh, when he you know had a run in WWF with Taka. And he was shorter and stocky and heavy, like kind of a Mr. Saito type build, you know. But those guys just went out there and worked their ass off. I'd say the match went 25, 30 minutes. And it was just a really good match. I was just like, and I was, you know, you're, you're at the end of the tour. You're dead fucking tired anyway. And uh, nine times out of ten, if I wasn't, you know, in something, I was back at the bus, you know, watching baseball on TV or, or drinking a beer or whatever. But I sat there in the arena that night, knowing I guess it was the last time I see some of these guys for a while, or whatever. And they just, they just really tore it down. It was a good six man tag match. Um, again, it was Terry Boy, Dick Toga, and Taka Michinoku versus uh, Great Sasuke, the Grand Hamada, and uh, Jensei. And it just, 
And that's my number eight match, man. It was really good. It really was. There is a difference between Mexican, Japanese, and American wrestling. And a lot of times when you watch Japanese, it does feel like it bleeds more towards the Mexican style. Yes. And I think that was one of the things that ECW and WCW did was they varied their product and introduced the Western audience to these different styles. I think that still, you can still feel that in the modern products today as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And that's what that match did. It kind of, it had a blend of all three. You know, it was the, it was the Mexican influence because Hamada had been there. Korsaska had been there. I'm sure probably the young boys had all been there at one point too. But, but they, um, you know, it all just kind of bled together and fed together, and it was just it was just a good, good, solid match, man. That's that's just the best way I can describe it. That as a fan, you're sitting there going, fan, you're one way, but as a performer, and I just finished up this tour, and I felt like it was my second time there, and I felt like I had a really good tour, and I felt like I had some talent. You know, you feel good about yourself. You know, not not being egotistic or nothing like that. I'm just saying, but I was watching these guys, and I was like, man, right when you think. You're getting good, and you see how much better these guys execute a move or do something or sell. It excites you. It, it makes you want to be better, you know? And uh, that's what that done for me. It was one of those things where, like, holy shit, that's why these guys are working a main event. You know, that's why these guys, these six guys here are interchangeable for any semi and main event on a card because that's who worked them every night. You know, any combination of those two or three guys uh, on each team would work the semi to main event. Um, so I, that was cool. With that said, my next match is number seven is from all Japan. And that actually the match took place in Australia. Joe and Dean Malenko had worked for all Japan. Dean had jumped over to new Japan. We were in Australia and they had a tag team match with Benoit and, and Liger. And they just absolutely tore the fucking place down. And on any given night, Joe and Dean would tag against each other, tag against them two, or Dean would wrestle Liger, Joe would wrestle Benoit, or any combination of that. Liger and Benoit wrestled, but on this one night, Joe and Dean tagged against Chris and Jushin Liger. And I was sitting up, we was at this place, uh, the building had this like, I won't say a church steeple, but it had like an attic type area that you could go up into. Probably 20 people could have seat, been seated up there. And it overlooked, I guess what you call like a bird's nest, if you will. And I went up there and I was by myself and I was like, I can't believe maybe some guys would watch it from behind the curtain or whatever. But I remember sitting there by myself when I can't believe no one else is up here fucking watching this match because I had heard, of course, I saw them work a couple of times. They all did it, you know, two or three day, uh, two or three matches each, probably by the time this took place. So, I, you know, I'd heard uh, I'd seen Liger on tape. I'd seen Benoit on tape. I knew their names. And of course, I knew Joe and Dean. And, you know, I always heard, you know, what great craftsmen Joe and Dean were in the business. And, man, when them four got together, they did a, just a just a Japanese-style match, you know, really. Way ahead of its time for, you know, Australia or anything over here or anything I had seen. Because, like I said, uh, Joe, um, I, I don't know that he ever left uh, all Japan at all when he finished up. But, but Dean had already jumped to New Japan by this point. But, man, they just, it was just a tag team match. And I was sitting there just thinking... 
that's for real athletes right there. You know, it's all in shape. The spots were spot on. It didn't look like um, a whole lot of predetermined, let's do this, let's do that. It was just one of those matches that, as a fan, you're just sitting there. And as one of the boys, again, serves as motivation going, that's why I want to get better right there. Because of guys like that, they worked their ass off that night. Every night on the tour, they worked their ass off. But that was the, that was the match there that I saw in person that I, you know, was really comes in at my number seven match. And I hope these matches aren't boring too many people. But I know they throw the fuck out of me when I watch. Now, so, <clears throat> are you? Uh, do you think you go a little bit lenient on the Malenko since you are a Malenko graduate? Well, let's go to number six. <laughs> <laughs> number six took place in Japan. I saw this on an old VHS, and then, I, then I've recently seen it on YouTube. And when I say recently, I probably watch it about once a year. And it's Joe Malenko versus Dean Malenko in, in all Japan. So do I go lenient? I don't think so because I think way back in 93, I've heard other people say, man, Dean Malenko is one of the most underrated wrestlers in the world. And I think that, you know, his high – his height, his size held him back some. But Joe was uh, all, the um, all-Asian uh, junior world heavyweight champion at one time. You know, they put the uh, the all-Asian tag team titles on him at one time. I mean, so I think their credentials speak for themselves. Uh, I, 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 I don't know if I'm lenient. I'm definitely biased, you know, uh, uh, towards those guys. And if you watch that match, Joe and Dean just – they do a double drop kick and miss each other. They do a double cross body, you know, and, and connect. And, it's, you know, you just see the clash. I, I've said it before early on. It's like, you know, Dean was – Dean's more the art performer out there working where Joe, you know, he could he could do the shoe style, submission style, and, and Dean could too. But they made stuff look so smooth and so real, but they also made it look like it was com- – uh, competitive still, if you will. And yep. I like that. Uh, to answer your question, I think I, the best way I can answer it is, I don't know that I'm lenient, but I'm certainly fucking biased. <laughs> I think that's a fair uh, answer. And I just didn't, I didn't want to use the B word. That's why I use lenient. I think an argument could be made that Dean Malenko was one of the greatest in-ring performers of the last 25 years. He uh, just, that's, I think that's, I, that's a great statement. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, he just, for some reason, and it's funny to me because you've told me yourself that when you talk to Dean Malenko, Dean Malenko's sharp, witty, funny, on point. You put a microphone in his face. This is me speaking, not you now, but you get a microphone in front of him and none of it came across. No, none at all. Yeah. And it's just weird. I mean, I was stoked when he was included in the Horseman. He was just such a great in-ring worker. There were there were two people I said would be the future of pro wrestling back in the mid '90s when I saw him, and Dean Malenko was one of them. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I could watch Dean Malenko wrestle all day. You know, I've said it before. He was the perfect guy gene wrestler for Japan. Give him yeah. a manager. Don't make him talk. Just let him go out and whoop ass. Yeah, yeah, and that—that's it. Is it's the thing is, it's, it's not a dig, and and, no. I, and I said it before, and you've already said you said you're speaking for you, not for me. But I'll say it too. That guy, man, the fucking wit that he had, the the funny, the timing he had, for whatever reason, when that microphone came on or that camera, you know, flashed up, man, it just did not shine through. I don't know if he was just trying to. Stick with that, quote, Iceman, you know, stare uh, gimmick, you know, 
whatever, just nothing ever really come across that away on promos and stuff. But as far as in-ring performance, man, that guy, he just, I watched him over at, before that match took place, I watched him in, um, you know, Australia just night after night going, I've heard all these great stories about these, you know, other guys, and and here's Dean, and he's like fucking, he's shining. You know, I'm like, holy shit, his talent, why isn't he with a big company, you know? Yeah. Of course, I knew he was making money in Japan for a year prior to that, so so that's my number six was uh, Joe versus Dean Malenko in Japan, which is going to take me to number five, if you don't mind. Absolutely, carry on. So number five, Jeremy, and it's uh, William or Steve Regal against uh, Chris Benoit. You can find this one. I think it's from around 2001. It's the um, uh, Mark Curtis Memorial Show. Those two just go at it. It's brutal. They they wrestle. They're you know they use the European style. They use the American style. They just really really go at it. And one of the reasons I like it, in addition to the physicality of it. Tom Pritchard does some of the voiceover on it, and he recommends that. And I know some of our listeners may be a little bit older and guys that are our age that you know, like the, or at least fans that like the older wrestling. And this is not too far ago um, where it was still wrestling. It's a professional wrestling match the way you kind of remember it. And and Tom Pritchard, you know, at the time was teaching, I guess, at WWE. E or F or whatever, a performance academy or schooling, whatever they was doing at the time, and he recommended every student, um, you know, watch this match. And I, I would tell young people the same thing. I, I, I watch it about once a year, to be honest with you, because of just the physicality and also that the, there's two technicians in there and they're just doing a really, really good pro style. And that's probably the only reason um, and I, I'm a fan of uh, Regal, always was, and uh, for Chris, I just, um, I had known him a long time, and so I'm not going to say a whole lot about anything other than uh, I do have a story concerning him and myself, but um, I had known him for a while, and I just think it was a really, really good matchup and a really, really good match, and that's why it comes in at number five for me. Steve Regal, or William Regal, or whatever you want to call him. Right is probably one of the greatest wrestlers to never hold a major title of all time. He's probably one of the greatest wrestlers of the last 25 years. Mm -hmm. I do like wrestlers from the UK, you know, uh, the the British Islands and Ireland. They, They are stiff and mean, and they are professionals, and they get the job done, but they make it look like it hurts like a son of a bitch. Yes. I, I do have to make a quick aside on Benoit. Bobby, you know a little bit about my history from around 2007, 2008, 2009. Yes, sir. So <clears throat> it, these were very bad years in my life, my family's life. And it all pretty much started with Chris Benoit. And that is really, I can chart that day as watching the rest of my life slide off of a hill. You know, I, I said earlier that I, I had called Dean Malenko and one other person the future mm-hmm. of the sport. Chris Benoit was the other guy. I thought that's who he was going to say. And so when Benoit did what he did, it affected me in a very personal way, especially with just starting from that date going forward the way the next three years of my life went. I, I, in my head, I can trace it all back to that day. And okay. watch everything else happen. Um, I feel personally, you know, I, I didn't know him. I, I got to say this. I realize you did. I didn't know him. I'm, I'm talking as just somebody as a fan 
whose memories are so tied up with that period of time. I've got you. Yeah. So, and excuse me, everybody, my, my voice is out and I've had a cough for a couple of days, but I, I feel almost personally offended by what happened there. Just, I was such a fan of his and for him to have done what he did, it's just one of those things I can't bring myself to watch a Benoit match anymore. I, I don't know that I have a whole lot more to say about it than that. I'm sure this is a great match. I've never seen it, but I'm not going to go watch it now. If, if yeah, he, and if you know what? It. I totally respect that you don't want to go watch it, and nor will you watch it. And if anyone else out there listening hasn't seen it and don't want to watch it, don't. Um, I totally respect that. I watch it about once a year just because it's just – it keeps me when I try to help younger people, it gives me something to kind of go with. And that's it. With that said, uh, I can't agree more with what you said about Regal being one of the greatest, you know, last 25 years. He's, he was phenomenal, man. And so I'm just going to slide out, uh, was just telling a brief story. Uh, I had met Chris back in 93, had spent some time with him. With that said, while I was around him, he was nothing but a complete professional. And I have to kind of leave my mind there. And after that, I just, I, I blank it all out as well, to be quite honest with you. I don't, it's not something, I don't go looking for his matches specifically, even though I've mentioned his name on this list a couple of times. With that said, I do have a, a story to tell you that I'd like to share real briefly about Chris Benoit myself. It happened in Dayton, Ohio. No, I'm sorry, Toledo. Is it Toledo, Ohio? Toledo, Ohio. Yeah, Toledo, Ohio. Uh, I think it's the um, a year had passed, and I remember walking in with one of the Armstrong brothers, and Norman Smiley was behind me. Norman said, "Bobby, I remember this arena. This is the same place you and Benoit had that killer match at last year." He said, "Y'all tore the house down." And I said, "You remember that?" He said, "I always remember all the good matches, the best matches off each show," and I took it as such a compliment from Norman to tell me that. What had happened, I had wrestled, went to, we did um, the uh, World War III, the pay-per-view. Then we went to do the TV. You know, of course, you had Nitro on Monday, and then we had TV on Tuesday. And I, did, I was completely unaware of this at the time. Um, I was in the locker room just getting ready, just like anyone else. And Chris Benoit came, and he said, Bobby, come here. And he said, you're working with me tonight. He just locked up with me. And we started going at it uh, almost like a shoot uh, professionally right there, just standing like right where I was dressing. We didn't move two feet. And he said, this is the way we're going to work, blah, blah, blah. And and I knew something different was about him. Um, I didn't know what it was at the time. And he said, you think about some things you can do, and I'll think about some things I want to do, and uh, I'll get back to you. He said, but we're going to go out there, and we're going to have a hell of a match tonight. And he walked away. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what that was about. And I remember Dean Malenko, and I think it was Jericho. I could be wrong on that. I know Dean was there because he said, hey, I thought you guys were going to shoot right here in the locker room. What was that about? And I just kind of blew it off. I was like, I don't know. And I didn't know. And then about 15 minutes later, he came back, and he said, um, you know, here's what we're going to do. How do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? And, and we didn't have everything planned out to a T, nothing like that. He hated that kind of stuff. We caught most of it on the fly. But he just said, whatever you do, he said, I want you to work as hard as you can. I want you to work stiff. He said, I'm going to throw these knees. And he said, when I bend you over about a hair, this is about the only thing honestly told me. So when I bend you over about a hair, put your hands over your face because I'm throwing knees. 
And, and that was about it, honestly. And, of course, I knew to finish. And, and Big Dusty, uh, if you haven't heard his episode, that's uh, episode, I think, number four. Go back and listen to it on our podcast. But Big Dusty puts the match over huge on, on, on the mothership, uh, WTBS, there back in the day. But I didn't know anything that had taken place. And what had actually taken place was Mongo McMichael was part of Horseman then, if you recall, during that time period. And my name was on the board, apparently, that I hadn't seen yet to wrestle Mongo. And Mongo thought that I couldn't keep up with him and that I was beneath him and that I shouldn't, that he shouldn't have to wrestle a guy like me. Now, I knew what my job was there. I knew I was about mid-card at best. I knew when I was going to get wins, and I knew when I was going to get losses pretty much ahead of time, weeks, sometimes days, but usually I knew. And I was fine with that because I was doing what I loved doing. There's 24 matches on a card. They shoot 12, they take a break, and they shoot another 12. And that's your next 20, 24 matches. That's, that's your next two TV, two weeks of TV on TBS. So the first 12 obviously will air week one. The second 12 will air two weeks later. And we were number 23 on a card. Scott Hall was the main event. I don't remember who he wrestled, but I know this. And I tore the fucking house down. We had one of my top five matches of all time. And that is one of the things we did this list, my top ten matches. I know uh, of what I like as a fan and, and as a wrestler. But uh, one of my favorite matches and best matches was against Chris, and this was one of them. Uh, thus, a year later, Norman still remembering it being the best one. What had happened was, and I know you have a question about Mongo. So I'll let you get that out there, and then I'll go from there what I know. Because at this well, point, I knew nothing, okay? Well, I just, you know, um, how many times did uh, uh, Mongo McMichaels use a Northern Light suplex? <laughs> uh, <laughs> did he? Did he use it once? I don't know. <laughs> I, I doubt it. What, what did I'm he know what it was? <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is Mongo, yeah. and I'm not talking for you. I'm just no, for I know. me. I'm just saying, I don't even know if he knew what it was, yeah. but anyway. <laughs> I don't know that Mongo could wrestle his way out of a wet bag, but, you know, that's that's just between you and me. I think it takes some nerve for that muscle-head, chihuahua-carrying lunatic to say you don't have the talent, but whatever, you know, I mean, whatever. I, just, I was not a fan. I was not a but fan. Here's the thing. <laughs> Mongo played 15 years in NFL, okay, and I, I saw him back someone down pretty badass guy in a locker room one time with just a few words. Now, he had the advantage, and the other guy didn't even get up. So you don't play 15 years in the NFL and, and not be a badass. Oh, so I, I'm not, I'm not, about, I'm yeah. not saying no, he's no, not I a badass. I'm defending myself in this situation, okay? Yeah. I'm not saying I didn't respect the fact that I knew he was a badass, okay? Yeah. So, and I'm probably glad and probably better off and probably survived the stiff mat with with uh, Chris versus going out there with Mongo and trying trying to pull off something, even though he thinks he can't keep up with me. Because here's what happened. Uh, apparently, it was you know Chris Dean, Mongo, Arn Flair, whoever you know there. Probably Bischoff, or maybe maybe not Bischoff. You know, in the thing and in, in the, the war room, if you will, Terry Taylor or whoever, uh, before the board went out and that comment was made. Well, Chris took personal offense to that, and I didn't know that that had happened at the time. 
nor did I know after he come and talked to me and what happened. And I was traveling with the Armstrong brothers at the time. We were staying up in Detroit. Like I said, we'd done the World War III. We had a uh, uh, Saginaw, Michigan next day, and, I, and then I said we was in Toledo for the TVs. Scott Armstrong had went up to Chris Benoit and said something, which, again, I didn't know this at the time. He said, hey, man, this guy you're working on, you know, he can actually he can work pretty well, uh, pretty good, or however he worded it. He said he's not just, you know, he said, I work with him and smoking. And Chris said, hey, I was in Australia with him. I know he can work. That's why I'm working him. Don't worry about it. And walked away. And I guess he was a little bit stewed at Scott, you know, not, not stewed, but, you know, just a little bit hot that, you know, because – Chris knew who I was. Yeah. We go out there. We have the match. We tear it down. Uh, work stiff. It, it was good. I didn't know any of that until after the fact. That went all through Chris's body and mind that Mongo said that in front of those guys. And every one of them other guys had respected me, you know. And Chris had known that. And he said, I, he said, put my name with them. I'll wrestle. And with all due respect... We did. We we worked it, and I had even talked to Mongo several times about football, little things. I had Dick Buckus's book at one time. I just picked it up at the airport, and it had a picture of Dick Buckus's knees really, really messed up. And I was joking with Mongo. I said, are your knees just fucked up or worse? And he said, they may not look that bad, but they're probably just as bad. I mean, just little things like that, you know. So, uh, And not on that particular day. But I will say this. After that match, there was just a few of the boys. Like I said, match number 23 out of 24 on the show. I was unlacing my boots, and I kid you not, Mongo McMichael. And this is why I'm not going to bury the guy, because I buried him that day. He walked up. I was unlacing my boots. He come around a corner, and I was sitting there, and he goes, Hey, Bobby. And he reached his hand out. Now, I didn't know that he was the one scheduled to wrestle me uh, still okay he said hey bobby and he put his hand out shook his man hey kid i didn't know you could wrestle like that man i didn't know you could go like that he said that was one hell of a match i, I just want to personally compliment you you just had a hell of a match and uh, i said hey man thanks and I, I really, I did, I wasn't trying to blow them off, but I was like kind of blown up and I was taking my boots off and I was kind of, it's kind of like, you know, when two guys are pissing, do you say yes or, you know, hate each other? You, you don't reach over and shake hands. You know, it's kind of an awkward moment. And I was sitting there and he was standing up and he's a big cocksucker. I mean, he's a big motherfucker. Uh, I don't know if he's coming over to get hot at me or, you know, I don't know what's going on. But he reaches out his hand. I, I'm unlacing my boot. I reach up and shake it. He gives me some huge compliments and he said, man, he said, uh, I didn't know you could fly around like that out there. He said, let me tell you something. And I said, yes, sir. He goes, uh, maybe one day you and I'll get a chance to get in a ring together, and, 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 and I'd be honored to, to, to have a match with you. And I looked up at him, and I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. Again, I'm just kind of tired. I've you know, got chops all over my chest. I'm taking my boots off. I, I look, I only stand up. And nine times out of ten when I meet someone, I talk to them, I stand up, and I look them in the eye, honestly. Uh, still to this day, but I shook his hand and I said, Hey, if we ever get the chance, that'd be great, man. Thanks. And I appreciate the compliments. He walked away and that was it. It wasn't until the next day that I found out that's why I had wrestled Benoit, not Mongo. And then, but Mongo was man enough that he watched the match that he come up and actually compliment me. Now he didn't come back here and say, Hey, by the way, I was scheduled to wrestle you and this and that. He just came back and he took the time to say, 
what he said. And that was, that was pretty much word for word what he said. You know, I didn't know you could go like that. Man, that was a hell of a match. And maybe one day, you know, you and I can have a chance to have a match like that. And that's what he said, you know. So I thought, well, I didn't, I didn't know why he said it. And like I said, next day I found out about it a little bit more. I found out some that night, like I said, riding home with the Armstrongs. Then whatever the next town was, which was a Wednesday uh, house show, uh, a couple more guys told me what took place. And it just all made that much more sense to me. But if nothing else, I thought, man, you know, he's a big, legit, tough guy. And um, he took the time to come over, and, and he didn't say, hey, you know, I was scheduled to wrestle you and didn't think you was worthy, but uh, he did take the time to come over and tell me what a good match I had and what a talent I had, and uh, he hoped one day him and I could have a match together. So that kind of ties up the story I wanted to tell you about that uh, talent. Yeah, what, I, what I'd like to put out there at this time or any time yeah. going forward, if, if one of our listeners has a favorite Steve Mongo McMichael match, please tell me what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put it out there. Hit the yeah. hashtag BBBB. Uh, let's hit this real quick. Follow Jeremy on Twitter at the Geekish Cast. Follow me on Twitter at Bobby Blaze seven forty four. And then also follow the joint account, which Jeremy is doing one hell of a job with, and that's the uh, Bell to Bell Blaze on Twitter. And also there's a, a Facebook page out there, a Facebook group, and also uh, there's a, a Bell to Bell Blaze podcast that Tex takes care of, and that's been carrying us through. Uh, we uh, Last couple of weeks, we hadn't been up on our normal Friday. We've told you about that earlier. But we've had some good videos to put up. So, um, And text takes care of that. We don't really have anything to do with that other than that's our voices. And uh, But we are both, or I can speak for myself, I know, I think, we both are very um, thankful for text, uh, taking the time to put those up and get us through some times when we don't have an actual podcast up. So uh, that's just a personal shout-out there. But that's my, um, my top uh, five, you know. That was my top five match, and that's pretty much all I'll say about that. I think you probably enjoyed the uh, Mongo story more than you did the uh, – I hope you did more than the, the match itself, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's uh, just – you know, and it, it's not that I – I'm sure it was a great match. They were both great wrestlers. It's just – it's hard for me to watch. You know what I yeah, mean? No, yeah, and I totally get it, totally respect it, and, and, and don't go out of your way. Go back and watch it. Yeah. You know, so. All right. Well, Bobby, anyway. why don't you take us to number four then? Yep, number four. These next four are, are going to surprise you, to be honest with you. At least two of them will, I think. But, um, again, as I mentioned earlier, I kind of went off the mainstream of what everyone else I think they would like because this is my list, and these were things I liked and uh, enjoyed seeing. Um, this next match took place in Paintsville, Kentucky. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, it was for Smoky Mountain Wrestling. We used to run Smoky Mountain Wrestling in Paintsville. It's a small town. It's about an hour from here. We used to run in a place called Paintsville, um, the high school there. They also had the Apple Day Festival there. We did that yearly. But they also have a big county school called Johnson Central. So I'm going to give them a shout-out because we only had to wrestle there like twice. Mostly we ran. I'll give Ken uh, Cantrell a shout-out to one of Cornette's buddies, a friend of mine as well. Hey, Ken. Uh I see him and Lisa every once in a while at some shows, uh, and they're really always really nice to me, and Ken takes photography and this and that. But for this show, and he ran, he helped run Paintsville because we always did it for the volunteer fire department up there. And this show we had to go to uh, Johnson Central High School because something was already taking place at Paintsville High School. I don't know if the school had been flooded. Uh, honestly, if it, you know, it had been a snow day, I, 
things happen. You know, a tournament could have been going on. I don't know. So this place is in Johnson Central High School because I'm going to have another one in a minute at Paintsville High School. This match, though, involved Bullet Bob Armstrong and Dick Murdoch. And you're thinking, where the hell can you come up a match with those two guys on it? Well, we ran a different school, which is only about 12 miles difference, I'd say, one city school, one's county. Paceville used to sell out regular. If it didn't sell out, it was damn near close. This show probably, and this was a much, much bigger school, uh, gymnasium. It had about 400 people. We didn't draw like we normally do. I want to say it was even a Sunday afternoon show. Um, and it was when Murdoch was in the territory, uh, Van Horn was in the territory, the mummy. I mean, you know, it's just, uh, and we had our regular crew and believe it or not, a main event was, uh, uh, Dick Murdoch with Cornette managing him against bullet Bob Armstrong. And I kid you not on each end of the bleachers. And of course it's a big gym. Only about 400 people there. Ring size probably got a couple hundred people, and then the rest are just, you know, throughout the uh, bleachers. On the one side, every baby face was out watching, and on the other side, every heel was out watching. And I kid you not, those two guys put on a fucking wrestling clinic. And it was classic. Murdoch even done the flying head scissors on Bullet Bob. And Bullet Bob was about 55 or 56 years old at the time. And Murdoch was, I guess, you know, probably 57 at the time, something like that. Big old beer gut out there, pale as can be. You know, bullet had to tan and always looked good. And I'm telling you what, I don't think Cornette had to interfere or do anything other than introduce uh, Dick Murdoch. And the, I'm telling you, the people, they watched. They watched it. And I swear, I looked, I, I was with Ricky and Robert and Tracy. And, and maybe one other point, white boy may have turned uh, babyface by that time. I'm not sure. But on the other end, you know, I look down there and there's all the fucking heels looking out the locker room, standing by the, you know, by the bleachers. And them two guys, and Murdoch at one time even yelled out because the boys were popping. They was putting it on, I think, more for the boys and Cornette than they were for the fans. But even during the match, and it could have even been, uh, I'll just say this, it could have even been during the flying head scissors. <laughs> Murdoch yells out, the billboard still says wrestling. <laughs> and they, seriously, they, they went about 30 fucking minutes. And it was just, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm losing my voice. I'm going to get a drink of water somewhere. I know I moved one. So if you hear something crunching, I'm sorry. I wish it was a shot or a beer or soda or something, but it's water. But anyway. Um, it's important to stay two, hydrated. I know. Those two just, it, it was fucking, it's one of my favorite all-time matches. I mean, here it is at number four. So what's that tell you? And they went about 30 minutes. Honestly, I couldn't even tell you who won. I imagine Bullet Bob went over. I imagine it was some kind of DQ with Cornette involved or something, or maybe Murdoch put him over clean. I don't even know. I just know they tore the fucking house down, and it it was a great fucking match, man. So that's my number four. So that's a good any one. Questions? Tell me or ask me, and I'll no, not, answer. Not really. It it's that good. Yeah, Bullet Bob. You know, um, we're gonna have to do a full episode about the Armstrong family at some point, just to kind of dig in for people who don't know a lot about them. Yeah, um, sounds but, good. 
But Bullet Bob was it was a hell of a wrestler. Dick Murdoch was fun to watch. And also, I'm a fan of anybody who uses the moniker Dirty when their first name is Dick. Yep. So, you know. And I just see those two just slugging the shit. Just two mean old bastards slugging the shit out of each other is what I'm hearing. But you're talking about a flying head scissor as well, so even that doesn't do it justice. Well, see, that's the thing. They they threw punches. They wrestled from the mat. They threw punches. And they did spots, you know. Yeah. That's the thing. They threw it all out there. And I swear to this day, I think... When they saw the boys out there watching it, they did it for the boys. I I, I may even put that in my book. I, I, honestly, I, I, I can't remember if I didn't. I should have uh, as one of my favorite matches that I think they were actually just wrestling for the boys that day. Um, but but it was that damn good, man. So uh, anyway, that's all I'll say about that, if that's okay. No, that's fine. It's a like, damn good one. Yeah, it uh, sounds like a hell of a match. Well, yeah. why don't you take us to your third pick then? Okay, third pick. This is one I mentioned earlier. I could have put the Fantastics in there at, any, at, at some point in, during one of these matches. But my third pick is going to be, uh, yeah, you got it, the Malenko brothers. <laughs> Joe and Dean Malenko against the British Bulldogs. Uh, it was like match of the year in like 88, maybe 89 over in Japan. And Joe and Dean against uh, Davy Boy and Dynamite, and they just fucking... It's just one of those matches. I saw it as I went over at Larry, you know, Professor Boris Malenko's house. Uh, Dean had brought it home from uh, uh, Japan, I guess, or someone had sent it to him. And a couple, myself and a couple other students went over to, to watch it on a, you know, after training session one day. And it just opened my eyes to the style of Japan, Japanese wrestling, and also the respect that the uh, that the wrestling itself got and also the respect that the Malenko's had in, in Japan along with the Bulldogs. Um, it was not your WWF, you know, at the time Bulldogs, it was the guys that, you know, it was the boys that had wrestled in Calgary and, and England and, and, and wrestled in Japan. You know what I'm saying? They put on a match that was unreal. It is on YouTube. It's, uh, it's just unreal, man. Uh, Joe could could probably legitimately uh, dynamite might have been a legit badass, you know, but but Joe, you know, legitimately could have stretched any of them at any given time uh, and worked with them, of course. And and I've emphasized that before. They they all worked. They worked really good. And Dean um, had a uh, short arm scissor on Dynamite Kid, and I'd heard this has happened before. And and they talk about back in the day. Carl Gott used to be able to do it to people and stuff, but uh, Davy Boy uh, uh, had Dean in a uh, short arm scissor, and he picks him up with one arm and lifts him up to escape it, and it's really impressive because you got that big size difference, and he just lifts him up, and then he slams him on his back to escape the hold, and then he continues to sell the arm. That's just one of the spots in it, and you can just see him going back and forth, uh, with each other and it's uh you know it's like one of those 50 50 matches and uh they blocked finishes they they did false finishes anything you could about do i think it's about 20 25 minutes at the most but probably closer to 20 anything you can get in during that time without it making it look like a circus they got it in 
from the wrestling to forearms. I don't I don't know if people threw punches. I don't think there was punches. I know there's forearms though. Um, so oh, I'm not can... saying there wasn't punch. I'm just saying there was forearms and and knees and suplexes and I, moves. Yeah, and I assume there were some European uppercuts as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, a, a lot of stiff, uh, you know, shots to the back, you know, to the chest and things like that. But but not where like someone punched him in the face. But with the European uppercuts that you like, also just the forearms to the side of the head, uh, setting up spots, you know. To I think there's a victory roll in there. We roll through. Um, the finish comes off just as, you know, it could have went either way. It's just a really, really good match. And that's one match I would encourage anyone to watch. And I talked to Bobby Fulton because while I was watching that match on your sidebar on YouTube, as you know, sometimes different things popped up. And I was watching that one day. It's in two, it's in two parts, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. That may be just a single. But um, uh, the Fantastics wrestled uh, the Malenko's. Uh, shortly after that, it popped up one of those sidebars, and um, man, they tore the house down too. And I thought, holy shit! I, I immediately called Bobby, uh, and give, uh, you're gonna hear my doorbell in a second. We'll take a brief break in just a second. My furnace guy's back, I think, Jeremy. <laughs> so hold on one bitch. second. But All anyway, right. let me finish this real quickly so you have a cutoff spot. Uh, I called Bobby Fulton and uh, told him what a great match they had against the Fantastics as well, and he put it over. He remembered, it, of course, but uh, talent they brought over. So yeah. Well, uh, should we? And, uh, you know, I don't know how I'm going to edit this together. So uh, if anybody's listening, um, <laughs> my schedule has changed, and Bobby's got some things going on where he's got uh, people coming and going from his house. So we, this episode has been a little trickier to put together than most. Uh, were, were we done talking about the Malenkos versus the Bulldogs? I mean, except for me to say that right there you probably have four of the best technical wrestlers in in modern history of pro wrestling in one ring and the bulldogs were amazing because they were technical and they were powerful yeah and that i am i i don't know when today because i also bought red dead redemption 2 and i've got <laughs> I, i've got some cowboy in to do this weekend but um, there you go. i am going to be watching that match as soon as possible yeah it's good it's worth it believe yeah. me believe yeah. me so, so. Yeah, that's um, that's one I I'm like I'm actually excited like sitting here thinking fuck I bet that's a hell of a match. All right, Bobby, what what is your pick for number two in your ten favorite okay. matches? Okay, number two, it comes from Smoky Mountain Wrestling. It took place in Pikeville, Kentucky, at the Bluegrass Brawl. It was in a cage. It was the Rock and Roll Express against the Heavenly Bodies in a Losers Leave Town match. And it was just one hell of a match. It was old school, you know. Of course, now we're talking old, old school. As Ricky Morton said, there's no such thing as old school or new school. There's just the right school. And it's the right way. And they just, and I think uh, babies were flying through the air, literally. I've heard Grant say it on his uh, podcast. You know, they were throwing babies that day. The fucking place was packed. It was one of those annual shows that we did. Uh, uh, they have a uh, Hillbillies Days, I believe, at Hillbillies in Kentucky. But every April they have a, uh, a, a week-long festival called Hillbilly Days, and they have it there to the college. Uh, they have wrestling. They've had it for years. And this one here, I think, was from 94. I could be wrong. I'm having 95. Uh, but anyway, it's right when the uh, bodies were getting ready to go to WWF. Uh, 
course, no one knew who was going to leave. I didn't know if the Rock and Roll Express was going to leave. I didn't, I didn't know who the winner was going to be. Um, I did care, obviously, because I liked everyone involved, and I, and I liked the company, you know, at the time. But they just went out there, man, and it was just um, – it was just a tag match for the century, you know. You just uh, there was interference, there was blood, there was it, it was just it was everything, um, you know, from wrestling to heat to to you know, uh, like I said, to fucking people throwing babies in the air when when the Rock and Roll Express didn't have to leave town, you know. So um, it was yeah. just, and they had a double um, double referee deal. I mean, they, they threw swerves. It was just, uh, here you go, Cornette. It was just tremendous fucking booking on Cornette's, or on Cornette's behalf. Uh, uh, Mark Curtis done a great job. I think uh, 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 Brian Keyes or Brian Logan, depending on which, whichever what name he uses, um, he had been, you know, a student. He had he ended up working there. He served as a second referee. It was just one of those things. It was swerve after swerve. A man just standing there in the hallway and watching that match. It was just. It was a Madison Square Garden match in 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 the fucking hills of Pikeville, Kentucky. You know, it's just. It was that good. And once again, um, I don't know that I ever saw a. Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express, or a Rock and Roll Express, Heavenly Bodies uh, match that wasn't good, you know, and throw the Fantastics in that mix, too, with any of them guys. But that match there, um, they just done a little bit of everything, from the, from the brawling to the fucking tags to the to the uh, distraction of the referees to the knocking out of referees to, to like I said, man, the uh, it was just packed, and it was just, just a really, really good match. It serves in my memory as one of the greatest uh, tag matches of, of all time that I've seen in person. And uh, I, like I said, I kind of stayed away from all my rock and rolls and, and midnights, my, my fantastics and midnights and fantastics and rock and rolls and all, all those things, you know, to kind of go a little bit different. And if anyone was there or watches, I know Cornette tells them, I, I don't know if that one is still on YouTube. It was because I know there's some conflict uh, eventual with some people on YouTube putting something up. I don't know. But uh, anyway, it's a hell of a tag team match, and it's the Lose or Leave Town match with the uh, Rock and Roll Express versus the Heavenly Bodies with Cornette in the corner. So hell of a match, man, just a hell of a tag team match. That's my number two all-time favorite match. And again, to, before we finish this episode up eventually, um, you know, these are some matches I took that weren't just mainstream that everyone would know about. So I'm hoping some people go back out and find some of these matches. Or um, if you do own them, go back and rewatch them, man, because they're, they're well worth it. They're just excitement, excitement, excitement. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, Jeremy, I may even have a copy of that. And if I do, I'll try to get it to you. Oh, that'd be awesome. Um, cause I bet, uh, I, cause I bet Ricky Morton sold his ass off too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and as Ricky, and, 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 and as Ricky Morton is known as saying the fans that was fucking hanging from the rafters and that story there, he would not be telling the fib. He would not be working the fans. He would not be working the boys when he tells this story. The, the fucking, I'm telling you, the fans were hanging from the rafters for that one, folks. Let me tell you. And uh, something about someone threw a baby up, and that's legit, too. And then, like I said, I've heard, heard Cornette mention on his. 
his podcast a couple of times, but I, I swear I think there was uh, some babies fucking flying, man. It was, it was just, and it was uh, one of them things. I think if we talked about, uh, you asked me a long time about the, some of the goofiest gimmicks you've seen people sell at shows and stuff, and it wasn't that some was goofy, but I mentioned those big old uh, air guitars you can win. You pump up the air into them, the blow up guitars. Uh, they had bought Ricky and Robert had bought a shitload of them was signing up. You know, that was one of the shows they was signing a bunch of them at, you know, at $5 a pop or whatever. It cost you $20 worth of dimes to try to throw a dime into the Coke bottle or whatever at the county fair. You know, they had, they had those and they were selling bandanas and t shirts. And, and, uh, you know, the benefit of that is, uh, uh, I, I think I wrestled Landell that show. I could be wrong, but, uh, I got their, uh, their, People that's tired of waiting in their line, I got the uh, the the layover. You know what I'm saying? So my gimmick sales went up too. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, you, you recall them guitars I was telling you about, right? The blow up one. Yeah, yeah. They, they was putting rock and roll on them, or Ricky and Robert, or whatever. That, that was one of them shows where I know gimmick sales had to be out the roof for them. And uh, the match, though, man, it was just it, it was that good. It was just that good. So. Um, if you don't mind, I'll go back down 10 through 2 and give you my number 1. How's that? Because I think good. my number 1 will surprise you. Okay, so I had the Sheik versus Bobo at number 10. Uh, then I had the um, the Memphis stuff. I went with the uh, empty arena with uh, Funk and Lawler. Then I went with the six-man tag match from over in Japan. Number seven, I went with Joe and Dean versus uh, uh, Benoit and Liger from over in Australia. Number six, I went with Joe versus Dean Malenko in Japan in the singles. Five was Regal and Benoit. Number four was Bullet Bob Armstrong against Dirty Dick Murdoch or Captain Redneck. Uh, number three was the Malenko brothers against the Bulldogs from around 88 or 89 in Japan. Number two was the Rock and Roll Express versus the Heavenly Bodies at the Blue, Blue Spit It Out, Bobby, Bluegrass Bra. Um, in Pikeville, Kentucky. And with that said, right down the road here, I've already mentioned this town there, my number one match of all time that I saw, and there's a backstory to it. And when you hear it, you're not going to believe it, but it's the truth. My number one all time match, and I have seen a shitload of matches in person, folks. This took place at Paintsville High School. I mentioned earlier there was Pikeville, or excuse me, uh, uh, Johnson Central High School the county there, but we always went to, with the exception of two times, to a school called Painesville High School. Always did about 12, 1,500 people, whatever it held, again, hanging from the rafters. Well, the show was uh, just, a, a, I think, a Christmas regular Christmas chaos tour, something like that. The match that tore the fucking place apart, it went for about 30 minutes. It was Bullet Bob Armstrong, and I know we're going to have to, I, did, I wanted to bite my tongue when you said we have to do something about the Armstrong family here soon. I'm telling you, the advertised match, and it was packed, folks, and Cornette had been on TV pushing it, and the advertised match was Bullet Bob Armstrong versus the madman from the Sudan, the Abdullah the Butcher, Okay. That's who was going to be there. And Abby had never been to Smoky Mountain Wrestling yet. They'd done some promos, and they had this place. I mean, it was it was filled up. And the 
stipulation was that he was bringing in Abdullah the Butcher and that the loser had to kiss the winner's feet at the end of the match. And the show, before it starts, they make an announcement. Abdullah the Butcher is not going to be here. And I, one thing, as much respect, and I put this, I know for sure in my book, as much respect as I have for Cornette, I respected him this night because he walked out prior to starting the show and said that I would like to let everyone know that I something along the lines, you know, we'll be more than glad to give your money back. He, I doubt he said that. <laughs> he hinted around that maybe. But Abdullah the Butcher would not be in a building that night, but he assured everyone he had a former NWA uh, tag team champion that was going to be there and that the fans would not be disappointed if they would stick around and watch the match. But he had someone worthy to take care of Bullet Bob Armstrong and called him whatever names he wanted to call him and said, and I assure you, he will be kissing my feet at the end of this match because the man I brought in, you're not going to believe who he is, and and he's going to take care of Armstrong once and for all. You'll be kissing my feet. Uh, then you know, got got some heat with it, whatever. I don't know if one or two people may have gotten up and asked for their money back. I don't know because I think Sandy or the regular announcer or someone else came on and said, folks, you know, this is your last chance. We're going to be starting in about, you know, 10 minutes or whatever. Uh, and they didn't say who it was, this and that. And I was sitting over to the gimmick table in the main event and is one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. And... Bullet Armstrong came to the ring to his bad to the bone and Cornette brought out fucking Bob Orton Jr. And the fucking place was just like, what are you fucking kidding me? I mean, it was that atmosphere of like, we've waited to see Abdullah the Butcher. No, he's not going to be here. And it was too late now to get your money back because they've already seen four or five matches or whatever it was. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm a I'm a Bob Wharton Jr. fan, big time. And the place was just like they weren't clapping. They weren't booing. They were just like, what the fuck? Did we just get fucked or what? And I know they didn't like Bob Wharton Jr. because he was with Cornette. Cornette was the mouthpiece. But I'm going to tell you what happened and why this is probably my number one Matt, greatest, funnest, as a fan, as one of the boys' matches I ever watched. And I know it's probably stunning for some to think, how in the fuck is that your number one match? And again, uh, Armstrong's probably about 55 years old at the time. Uh, uh, I, that's just a guess. I'm, I'm just guessing on my age and, and his boys' ages and while we were there. And he was, you know, acting commissioner. And um, I think it took like 18 months before he actually formed, you know, in Smoky Mountain because he was the commissioner at that time. He, Cornette might have used him a little bit before that in the ring, but I don't think he did. But anyway, Orton Jr. gets to the ring. Cornette gives him the grand fucking welcome. There's no more mention of Abdullah whatsoever. It's just, oh, I'm paying you. I'm paying you the bounty. You know, I brought you in specifically for this. Don't forget, you know, that I, you've got to win because there's no way I'm kissing that man's boots. You know, I'm not going to kiss him, to, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
The fans start watching the first they start working. They they lock up. They do a couple, just a couple little things. And if there was any fan in doubt, and in my mind, I swear I don't I don't know. There probably was some booing. There's probably some hissing, uh, and there's probably a lot of pissed off people. But I'm gonna tell you what happened, Jeremy. Within two minutes of them guys locking up, for the next 28 fucking minutes, everyone fucking watched. When I was putting over the clinic that Murdoch and uh, Armstrong put on earlier, you can only imagine putting it in there for Orton Jr. Bob Orton Jr. and Bob Armstrong had a fucking match that was out of this world. They just worked. It's called working, and they worked. Heel versus face. Heel with a vengeance for his manager as a hired hitman to put this man out, the former commissioner, you know, uh, the, the legend, you know, that is Bob Armstrong in, in, in uh, eastern Kentucky and, and eastern Tennessee and, and, and throughout, you know, the, the south. And I'm going to tell you what, and he got there when it came time for Orton to get the heat on Bob Armstrong. I thought Bob Armstrong was dead. He was doing the he was doing the shaking chicken where one leg was shaking like you know when you cut a chicken's head off. I don't know if you ever seen it, and it still flocks around with the the nerve endings, you know, flying yep. around. With. Dude, Armstrong was laying in the middle of the ring. He got his head stomped on, and it, his whole body's stiff as a board except for one leg, just a flopping. Uh, I remember that. And then the punches were just there. The moves were there. Uh, there wasn't any flying head scissors, but, it, it, you know, there was no need for it in this match, you know. And they, there was no mention of, you know, boo, boring, we want our money back, where the fuck's Abby and this and that. Bob Wharton Jr. was so fucking good, within two minutes, no one even recalled Abdullah the Butcher being booked on the fucking show. That's how good the match was. And then to cap it all off, he's a hired hitman, okay? And, of course, he got beat. And Cornette's yelling at him, getting up in him's face and saying, I can't believe you let this happen, uh, blah, blah, blah. And, and Orton is just, you know, he's a hired gun, man. Uh, you know, he's there. He, he don't have to be there, but he's there for Cornette. He's there for the fucking payoff. And Cornette's like, you're going to, you're going to have to go over there and kiss his, uh, boots. You're going to have to do this. You have to do that. And, you know, Bob Orton pretty much just was like, you know what? Fuck you. Uh, you know, he didn't say that obviously, but he's pretty much like, you know, go screw yourself, Cornette. Uh, I come in and done my job and the man beat me. And the stipulation, you know, the the boot thing, I had nothing to fucking do with that or however he said that. And he just eased himself out of there. And, of course, by this time, Bob's just sneaking around watching. And people are still fucking watching the show. Orton steps down out of the ring. And Armstrong grabs the boots, uh, grabs the, the microphone. He says, hey, Cornette, before you leave this ring, I think there's something you forgot. And that's this. The stipulation was the loser, and you, you agreed to it, the loser must kiss the winner's boot. And Cornette's begging off selling, and, man, it's getting over like you wouldn't believe. And Cornette's running around like a scouring dog on all fours, and Armstrong puts his fucking foot out, 
and you know he scours over there on all fours and he leans over and kisses the boot and a fucking place pops and this and that and right when you think it can't get any higher and hotter Cornette's backing away wiping his lip oh god you know whatever Armstrong says hey before you get out of this ring it didn't say you kissed the boot or the foot it says you kissed the feet and I've got another foot right here for you and fucking that place went nuts because once again it couldn't have been done any better and Cornette scouring around and they're like do it do it you know they're going fucking nuts and and uh uh uh, Orton Jr. is about halfway back through the crowd watching, you know, like, you know, it's on you. You signed a fucking contract. If it said it, you know, you're going to do it. And, of course, the people, they hated Cornette there. They loved Bullet Armstrong. And Cornette, uh, uh, Bob put his other foot out, you know, right toward the middle of the ring. And Cornette scoured, scoured on all four from the fucking corner and made all the faces and did his job like a heel manner. And he kissed the other boot. And when he did that fucking place, yeah, I mean, you can hear it all over the state probably, man. I mean, it was a huge fucking pop. But I'm telling you, for that 30, 35-minute match, we'll say five or so uh, to do the introduction, uh, 30 minutes of work, and then again to five or seven minutes after. So 40 minutes of it, we'll say. I'm telling you what, man, it was one of the greatest. It was my favorite all-time match I've ever seen in my life because they done professional wrestling the way wrestling should be done. There was a there was the all-American, you know, babyface. There was your your heel that had been on, uh, you know, WWF WrestleMania. He had been on uh, 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 if I'm not mistaken. He had been an NWA champion, as uh, Corn had promised, a, a tag team champion. He did put that in there, you know, and also he'd been a multiple champion on other levels. And um, so uh, made him, I guess the main thing is when you come out there and within two minutes make him forget that Abdullah the Butcher is even supposed to be booked on a fucking show. And you're going to watch this match, and everyone stayed and watched. It, it just, man, I'm, I was sitting there marking out of what a good, and I had a great seat. I was right at the gimmick table, complete clear path to the, to the ring. And as another one where at the other end of the building, this was one of our regular buildings, like I was saying, all the heels were out watching and, and all the baby faces were sitting at the gimmick table. Uh, and, and I guarantee it, we, we could have tried to sell something, not because everyone's attention was on that ring. And of course, you're not supposed to sell, you know, uh, during the, the gimmick table anyway, during matches. But we just happened to went over and sit down because that's where it was located. All the baby faces were watching and every fucking fan in the building was watching and they were hanging from the rafters, man. And that's my number one all-time match of all time, Bullet Bob Armstrong against uh, Bob Wharton Jr. with uh, Jim Cornette as his manager. And that's that's my that's my list, man. Uh, I hope everyone liked it. I, I loved going through it. Five of them I saw in person. Five of them I watched on uh, you know DVD or TV or VHS or whatever. But um, I went a little bit against the mainstream. So if you get a chance to watch any of those 10 matches and then some, go out there and watch them. And then also hit up the hashtag BBBB and, and let me know if you liked my list and let Jeremy know, um, you know, if you like the list or if there's some other topic that you'd like to know. Uh, 
more about, you know, each match, you know, uh, I'll tell you as much as I can remember, uh, from each match that I can, but I try to share a story of each match that I did have, and I had a reason for those. And for all the other people that love uh, your top ten, send us your top ten. Hit the hashtag, you know, BBBB on uh, Bell to Bell Blaze on Twitter, or Jeremy at the Geekish Cast, or Bobby Blaze seven forty four on Twitter, or the Facebook group uh, page. Hit us up and let us know some of your favorite matches because, uh, uh, you know. Even though I've been in a business and loved the business and been around a business, uh, just like Jeremy, I'm just a big fan. And just like you all, I love hearing all these stories, and I hope you enjoy the stories I shared with you today. I apologize for the inconvenience of having to wait an extra week or so for this podcast, but thank you for bearing with us. And uh, please, you know, give us a thumbs up, give us a like, uh, subscribe to us, um, rate and get review. The word out. Yeah, that's it. Rate review. That's it. Yeah, yep. Jeremy, I'm gonna close out. And just let you finish out the show because I know you know how to say all those good things about getting us, getting us those reviews and all that. They are important, and we do have several, several five star reviews, but we can always use more. Yep. Uh, well, and also, um, guys, if you have an idea for a show, like uh, S Sparks, Sparks Third Coast reached out, asked us to cover maybe top ten people who are not in the WWE or the Observer Hall of Fame, which I think could be a great topic that we might want to look at. Uh, somebody else reached out and threw to me that we should talk about the top ten wrestlers, which would obviously be ten through one, Tessa Blanchard. Um, <laughs> you know, may, maybe with an honorable mention from Andy Leone, but that's a great topic we might we might do here pretty soon. But if you got an idea for a show, uh, go ahead, hit us up on Twitter. I'd love to hear your ideas. So that way we know... That way we'll know that we're hitting topics you want to hear about, or at the very least, you'll give us ideas or a, an approximation of what we could focus on more that you would like to hear. So, um, again, everybody, thank you for bearing with us during this time. We're still working out the schedule. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to the show. Follow us on Twitter. Come check us out on Facebook. We do have a group and a page there. Go check out Texas uh, fan uh, YouTube page for the show on YouTube. He does amazing work with the videos and the graphics. It's I go back and rewatch stuff and and Bobby it's just you and me talking but then he cuts in yeah things that we're talking about and they're just amazing. And he does they it. They are. Yeah, it, it's just amazing and I get a new version of what we did when I go watch Texas stuff. It's great. I love it. Thank you Tex for doing that. Thank you everybody for listening. Bobby, thank you for coming back. I know it's been tricky getting this back together. Uh, and uh, for myself and Bobby Blaze, bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. You can keep up with the show by following the show account on Twitter at Bell to Bell Blaze. Follow Bobby at Bobby Blaze 744 and Jeremy at the Geekish Cast on Twitter as well. You can purchase Bobby's first book, Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boots, Will Travel, at tinyurl.com slash blazebook1, and Bobby's second book, I Kicked Out on Two, The Education of a Wrestler, at tinyurl.com slash blazebook2. You can donate to the show's GoFundMe to help with podcast expenses at gofundme.com slash bell-to-bell podcast hosting fees. Make sure to include hyphens between every word in bell-to-bell podcast hosting fees. If you download the show on Apple Podcasts, 
be sure to rate the show five stars and leave a positive review. Join the conversation on the show Facebook group to stay up to date with bell-to-bell fans just like you. Thanks again for listening, everyone.